Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair po- uh, Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning. And joining us for this week's edition of Armchair Politics, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Good morning, Bobby. Hi, guys. I'm glad to be back. Morning, Bobby. Good morning, Bobby. Well, good. How are you? Good. Great. As always, I uh, kick off the show with a few quotes. We start with finish the quote, which is where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this. Our scientific power has outrun our spiritual power. We have guided missiles and what? Mm. The internet. Guided missiles and... Public media. Unguided people. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Wheelbarrows. Boy, Paul, you just about nailed it. And this is one of my favorite quotes in a while. Our scientific power has outrun our spiritual power. We have guided missiles and misguided men. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Isn't that a great quote? Yeah. It was Martin Luther King. Oh. Oh. And I thought we Wonderful. we had a we had a quote from Martin Luther King last week leading up to MLK Day, and I thought, well, it was just a couple of days ago we'd we'd have another because he was such a tremendous uh, speaker. And I just and I love that turn of phrase. We have guided missiles and misguided men. Yeah, that is good. Um, and it hasn't changed a bit. No, it True. really hasn't. And and how long ago was that? Forty a long time years, ago. fifty years. Uh, yeah. Fifty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
there were a couple of quotes that got my attention. This one uh, in particular, um, the election in 2022, I think, is going to determine the future of our democracy. Mm. Mm, that could be anybody. Well, your yeah, action. It, yeah it, it really could be anybody. Um, and, I, and I won't leave you hanging with this. It was Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. She's a uh, Democratic hopeful for governor. Hobbs said democracy had prevailed in 2020 because election officials on both sides of the aisle had done their jobs. But now, with Trump-endorsed election deniers running for jobs that would give them authority over elections, the future is less certain. Is the she's not wrong. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a serious worry for 24. That's um, and and that really is the question: Is the future of elections less certain? Of course, of course. Yeah, I would I, agree with that. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, well, what's interesting is I mean, those offices, the secretaries of state and the election officials, often were the these kind of almost invisible offices nobody paid attention to now, but all of a sudden, with all these questions about elections, uh, it's they're going to become very, very important. And we have yeah. such strong opposition. There's a big gap between those who believe that they, uh, the election was uh, stolen and those that don't. That gap is so wide and so precisely held by nearly 50% of Democrats on one side and 50% on the other. The uncertainty just grows tremendously. And that's really uh, a great, great threat to democracy. And it's, I mean, in the final analysis, the real core of democracy is trust in the election process. If we lose that, we're we're really in some serious trouble, I think. Well, I also thought I always thought that the fact that the states control the elections was one of the strengths of our electoral system because you couldn't you couldn't control it from a central location. It was generally allocated to the states to decide how. They ran their elections, and uh, the issue, of course, is compounded by gerrymandering, which made an imbalance in many of the state legislatures. True. So they're yeah, yeah they're changing they're changing um, the way that the voting process goes, and everything winds up in court. That's the danger of it. We will always see the in the next election, one day after the vote is over, there will be. Uh, just tremendous amounts of ugly behavior and conversation about someone cheating. That's and the real, the, the real problem is that, 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 Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the real problem is that it undermines trust in the system, and when that trust yes. is gone, it can take a long, long time to rebuild it. It only takes one person to start the conversation, and then everybody gets involved on both sides. <laughs> Where's the trust? Yeah. 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 Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Wasn't that the big question that arose out of the Flint water crisis? Didn't we find that the trust in government was probably one of the worst things that happened in that case? Well, you know, yeah. in fact, I, I was just doing a doing a column for for the East Village on on the whole area of trust in elections and so forth. And if you take a look over the last well, more than half century, I think in 1964. Seventy-five percent of the people said government could do the right thing most of the time. Currently, just last year, that number was down to twenty-four percent. 
So we've really lost trust in so many institutions uh, in the last roughly half century. I mean, and there's a lot of causes. I mean, Trump is a curtain factor, but I mean, it's been Vietnam War, Watergate, various scandals, economic crises over time. All of that has eroded trust in a very big way. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say social media has played a big role in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's the angriest and the most conspiratorial voices often dominate social media. But when foreign interests uh, take an interest in shaping our democracy, that's bad. They have as much weight <laughs> as we do in this country. They help to shape how we see ourselves and whether we have a trustworthy government. Well, in who, this... who did you say, Henry, missed the beginning of that? Uh, foreign interest. People who oh, come foreign from, interest. Yes, from, from abroad. England, well, you know. But doesn't that yeah. go all the way back to the Carter-Reagan election? I always felt like the Iranian hostage crisis really turned that election. Well, you know, Paul um, mentioned a moment ago, Bobby, about uh, about the Vietnam War, and here I go again uh, responding to, to something Paul said with a quote from... Uh, uh, the West Wing, um, and they were talking about this issue of trust, and uh, the the character who plays the press secretary, C.J. Craig, says uh, um, she took it back to Vietnam and trust between the government and the public, and, and she said the public or the uh, government quit trusting the public, and now the public doesn't trust the government. It's a cautionary oh. tale. Mm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good phrase. Interesting. Yeah, and really, Go ahead. really quite I, true. You know, I, I, on that on the same general point, I'll, I'll pick up a phrase that Tom used. The whole, the whole role of rent, what he calls rant radio has played a role in the last several decades where, again, the, the angriest voices and loudest voices have dominated so much of the radio and to some degree television as well now. Um uh, well, and, and also, and, and don't get me started, or we'll end up doing the whole show on uh, flaws in the media, but it, it, there, was, there was a time when the people we saw, reporters and anchors and so on, were interviewing people who were experts in their fields and, and sharing that information and guiding those conversations. Now... The, the reporters and anchors have become the experts themselves, or at least pass themselves off that way. And I, I, I have a difficult time trusting that. Well, what role do you, do you think that the people back home have in shaping what goes on in Washington? People are elected to public office, but there's a threat of always repealing um, <clears throat> or recalling them if they don't vote the way that people back home want you to vote. Well, the short answer to that—the short answer to that, Henry—is depends on how much money they have. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I want that is part of the problem. It is part of the problem. I, I want to squeeze another quote in before we uh, before we brush up against the break. This one, I, I just couldn't pass this one. The quote is, she was the warmest grandmother a grandson could ask for. Uh, Betty White? Eisenhower? Eisenhower? 
No. Betty White? No, no. no. Betty White's White. a good guess because she just passed away and her birthday was Monday, her, what would have been her 100th birthday. But that was actually uh, a quote from uh, U.S. Representative Peter Meyer, Republican of oh, Grand Rapids. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. He said his That's grandmother right. had a long, full, and impactful life. Lena Rader um, Meyer, the ph- philanthropic uh, wife of Meyer grocery store magnate Frederick yeah. Meyer, died Saturday at the age of 102. Meyer, who also served on the Meyer Board of Directors, is being remembered by her family as a loving wife, mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. And and I wanted to use that quote to see if anybody had any any comments or wanted to share any reflections on Lena Meyer. But I thought we would also mention Betty White here as well. Yeah, but it couldn't have been Betty White. I knew that because she'd never had any kids, so she couldn't have been. So I just I forgot, forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, but she can be a surrogate grandmother. Yes, you can. That's true. That's true. To an awful lot of animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I gather the animal shelters have done fairly well with donations uh, on her birthday. Just in the area, um, I am thinking the Detroit area, there's um, an animal rescue that in her name as part of that, that Betty White Challenge has taken in tens of thousands of dollars in donations. Yeah. Well, and people really love animals. That's true. You, you, and she you was a wonderful lady, and I, I did not know her, and I didn't follow her that much, but just from what I read about, she would be a person that I would love and admire. Well, you know, when you think about, um, you know, Betty White, I, I've I've been watching some of the retrospectives and... and uh, streaming some of her old programs. I, I watched some episodes of Life with Elizabeth in, um, from 1952. And when you, when you think about it, when you look back over her career, she started in the very, very beginning of television. We've never had television that Betty White wasn't on somewhere. That's true. That's true. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, as we go forward, as television goes forward, it goes forward without Betty White for the first time in its history. But but wow. life, of the, life of Elizabeth was that was that fifty two. Nineteen fifty two. Yeah. See, that was that's the very earliest days of, of really widespread television. Yeah. <clears throat> and she and she was absolutely delightful, and some of the jokes are are still good today. Oh. Uh. It, it's just a tremendous, yeah. it's uh, kind of a, a cross between the Bickersons and I Love Lucy. <laughs> she, she had a very light touch on life. You know, she didn't seem to be anybody that ever looked at anything from the dark side. No, not at all. But she was nobody's pushover. She was sharp and, and witty and fun and funny and yeah. worked very, very hard. She never didn't work. Carol Reiner was the, the same way, and I saw some 
episodes or some some things with them working together. Anyway, we have to take a short break, but we've got lots to talk about on this week's edition of Armchair Politics. So we'll return with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton, after we let our broadcast <laughs> partners squeeze a few words in. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in edible arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for edible arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi 
gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, this week's edition featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. And uh, we'll bring things a little closer to home for uh, this segment. A uh, spokesman for the legal team representing former Governor Rick Snyder against criminal charges tied to the Flint water crisis says not to expect a trial until at least 2024. Spokesman Jason Brown made the comment in a large statement issued in a larger statement issued by Snyder's attorneys on the one-year anniversary of the announcement of grand jury indictments against the former governor, seven other former state government officials, and Flint's former director of its Department of Public Works. Will these cases ever be resolved? Mm. You know, I'm starting to wonder. In fact, I, when I saw that story, I was wondering whether or not this, the legal strategy was just to delay things so long that by the time they ever get to a trial, if they do, people will have forgotten about an awful lot. But I don't know. And you know, there's no real clear resolution to that problem. <clears throat> the, the city of Flint didn't have it right in the first place. <clears throat> Because they didn't have the right people in control areas uh, where experts were needed to monitor the water and send in reports and stuff like that. So they just got caught circumstantially. And the governor was caught circumstantially. He couldn't respond to all of the questions that people were asking because he didn't know. Uh, he didn't know the details of what was going on. So he got hung with that issue because he was the governor. Isn't it the responsibility of the governor to ask questions if he doesn't know? And I'm not condemning him. I'm saying that when you're in charge, I don't care where your position is, you are responsible for finding out I what agree. you need to know. You're right, and that's exactly the first thing I said about the people who ran the city of Flint. They were in charge. They were responsible. They were culpable. What? So, I was listening to uh, uh, the discussion about the uh, trials regarding opioids and, and what the pharmaceutical companies did in pushing it and, and their marketing te- schemes and everything. And one of the conclusions drawn was that these very seldom go to trial. They often wind up with settlements of some sort. Yeah. And I wonder if that's what we're facing also. Yeah. yeah and I would, if too. the governor had been a Democrat, I would still take the same position. Because there's a standards that we go by, not politics only, but standards of conduct and respect. Well, and, well and it is. You're absolutely right. Well, I don't know if you saw this piece um, in The Guardian, investigative freelance reporter Jordan Cheriton and Pulitzer Prize-winning Michigan reporter Charlie LeDuff have teamed up for a piece in The Guardian on charges and the status of Flint water crisis criminal investigations. 
They report a team of prosecutors and investigators leading the investigation into the Flint water crisis from 2016 through 18 were assembling a racketeering case against the architects of a bond deal that residents and experts say sparked the health disaster sources familiar with the criminal investigation have told the Guardian. The case, which would have come under the RICO uh, laws, uh, racketeer-influenced and corrupt organizations laws, uh, often used to charge organized crime groups, was widespread and set to implicate additional state officials who played a role in the poisoning of Flint, according to these sources. But when the team was suddenly broken up and the investigation restarted with a new set of investigators, the RICO case never materialized. Mm. Um, what was the bond issue? I don't remember yeah, I don't hearing anything. Was that for Terignandi? Yeah, yep, that was for KWA. And there are a lot of people who still tie those events together. But, um, and, and the question is, uh, and, and this is a long piece in The Guardian, and, and it's an interesting piece, and a lot of work went into it. Does fault in the Flint water crisis lie with incompetence or political and financial corruption? Both. You can't those two. Yeah, corruption is an awfully harsh word. I don't like to use corruption unless it seems to be intentional. And it seems to me that a lot of it was just greed and mismanagement. But that's just looking from the outside without a lot of information other than what I read. You know, the, the questions about Karagnani, though, remind you of uh, there was an earlier scandal for Flint Water back in the mid-60s, I think, where a similar project raised some, had, had some, some, I think some criminal charges raised over it with a sale of land for a... Uh, uh, yeah. a, a pipeline s somewhere in the mid-1960s. I've forgotten the exact time frame right now. But uh, we've been here before. In some yeah, it was a Tony Ragnon uh, era yeah. adventure. Yeah. And, and um, interestingly enough, the current drain commissioner, Jeff Wright, is, is really, by all accounts, a protege of Tony Ragnon's. Hmm. Probably. Well, you know, Tony Ragnone was well known, and he was well respected in many circles. And uh, I oh, guess, I uh, Jeff so Wright of respected. One of the things that I always say when you're looking at political questions is, well, the old follow the money thing. Who made money on this? Who who were the people that benefited? And there was a lot of money in Kerignandi. I know, but who gets it? Yeah. The issue is: Is it the contractors? Is it? Uh, it's not the government. It's not. Uh, it's not the authority. I don't think. Are the people who are working the authority making unusually large amounts of money? Well, and um, the 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 direction of this story in the Guardian is saying that Todd Flood's team, when they were investigating, they were exploring all of that. They were following the money. They were trying to find out if there were any relationships between, you know, the the KWA and, you know, ultimately decisions to go with the Flint River instead of Detroit as a stall to 
be part of KWA, and they were trying to connect all those dots, and they were trying to follow the money and see who was making what and for what. And then after the uh, after the election, when uh, Gretchen Whitmer became governor and um, uh, David Nessel became attorney general, all of those people were dismissed, all the charges were dropped, and, and the investigation was restarted. And this article is saying, with a very different focus that steers away from that. Hmm. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, when you look at one of my big issues is always the privatization of government, where everything is turned over to private corporations to run. That's where my, my antenna go up. Uh, the Paragon Water Authority is a quasi-governmental authority, right? True. So it had, to have been, it had to have been prior to, like what you're talking about, the Detroit water issue? Or would it I have been prior? Right. I, th I think you're right. It's, go ahead. It's, it's really hard to define in, in that term, Bobby, when you say prior to the Detroit water issue, because the Detroit water issue with Flint um, was an ongoing one that, that went on for decades. Um, there was this, I, I don't know, somewhere along the line, we gave up local control of, uh, you know, the the water treatment and distribution and went with Detroit water and it was um, around that same time that people started talking about uh, bringing in something like KWA. And that would be controlled by the people who live in this area. Yeah, you know, I, right. I, can I just say this for a second? If now, the, as I've gone over this many times before, now the government did, the EPA did. In uh, 1996, they made an announcement that drinking water systems were flawed and need to be repaired, and they needed two or three billion dollars to uh, begin the process throughout the nation. And all cities and communities were equally threatened by this. And nobody did anything. Congress didn't do anything, and uh, nor did the regulatory agency and the local. And everybody had that same information. I had that information. But, uh, and nobody did anything. So now we have an event, and all of the vultures will compile, will, will use that as a platform to make money. And that's what happened in Flint. Everybody converged on Flint including movie, movie actors who knew nothing about water. They made the statements and they influenced mm. uh, the platform so it got even more out of control. And then there was a thing with race, gender, and education. All of that stuff that screwed up the whole process when we were only supposed to be looking at water. So uh, we didn't get much accomplished, and we still have it. And we're were there any charges about uh, prior knowledge of Carignandi in terms of land sales? I know that was the case back in the 60s with that earlier project that some individuals bought up the land cheaply then sold it at an inflated price to the uh, 
the water project, and I wonder if somewhat similar things happened with Kerry Mandy. I, I yeah. heard that. And well, I think another... that there there might have been, but again, that's the subject of this Guardian piece this last <clears throat> week. Is um, that investigation was never completed? Yeah. In sure. fact, it was completely derailed when the administrations turned over. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, it's it's kind of uh, just to substantiate what you're saying so close to the truth. We had the same kind of a situation in Clio at one time when uh, Menards was going to move in and, and Walmart and all of those. The, someone found that that land was going to become vacant. And there was a discussion about people buying up the land to make money with. So you see, those kind of things do happen. The railroads were done that way 200 years ago. So that's nothing new. Yeah. Yeah, and it happens in the smallest communities as well. I remember in Texas, if somebody knew a, a road was going in, you know, all the guys that were making the decision were buying up the land. One of the things that occurs to me, though, is we talked earlier about media and media's shaping of people's opinions and things. Um, ProPublica and some other uh, investigative journalist organizations would be the logical uh, organization to look into this more thoroughly if the government is not doing it. It seems to me that if we had any really good investigative journalists, they could dig out the truth. Had, had the government been uh, had some impact back in 1996 we would see a whole different reality than we see today people would have done their job they would replace here's what i think henry i think that um the government and this is my observation over many many years the government does not like making waves uh, the bureaucracy does not like rapid change. They do not like anything that makes a difference uh, other than going forward and doing exactly what they've been doing. So anybody that comes in with a creative idea or some sort of a question will automatically be put at the kids' table. Uh, and I love government. I think government has a good function in our lives, but I know that government does not generate questions or creativity. So it needs to be done by the private sector. Good point. Yeah. Well, but government has to control. We surrender opportunities and decision to government, people that we vote into office, and we trust those people to do the right thing for the things that we cannot do by ourselves. That's a government responsibility. But and, we have to come to but, government with the evidence that something is wrong, and it needs to be addressed. The evidence is already there. It's been done by surveys, like in this case. There were hundreds of surveys around the country that showed that the infrastructure was leaking and it was it was discharging water at the same time that it was siphoning in bad water from the groundwater around the pipes. And yep, the people, that's, they that's really the tried hard to convince people this there's a trouble here. Yeah. We need to look at it. But it's too spread out, Henry. If it happened right in your backyard and you had somebody responsible and you came to them with something that you had done that showed exactly what the problem was and the public joined you, then they would have to do something. You mean but, like, uh, like jars of discolored water at city council meetings? Yeah. yeah. They could right. yeah. digging a ditch and bringing water in and say, look what I found in my right. basement. Eventually, eventually it got attention eventually but it, it, t- it took a whole conglomeration of evidence before it became 
but I, I, here's, to why I here's where I am on this issue. I probably lose my discussion here, but I believe that government has a responsibility to the people, and I don't absolve them from their guilt by saying, oh, government can't do it. They must find out what they need to do to solve the problem. Or we will be going through or find another form of government that can. You know, you're, you're right, Henry. And in fact, as an example, some governments have done it right. The city of Lansing, without any kind of a crisis, on a regular basis, replaced, I think it was about 10% of their pipes every year over a decade or so. And uh, never did have the crisis here. Here in Flint, we put it off, never replaced anything, and all of a sudden we've got to dig up the whole city uh, once we get into the middle of the crisis. And the governor right now, our current governor, is faced with up the uprising of many communities in Michigan demanding their right to money to replace their infrastructure. Yeah. Benton Harbor. Yeah. Uh, all of those uh, cities that where you have uh, mixed cultures, they are they're demanding their rights for money, the famous money. Who, appropriate, money. who appropriates the money? Appropriate. It's got to come from Congress. Congress, they, Congress they, they reported to Congress. The, the EPA the reported, they reported to Congress. Well, through the state. Fe- federal. Through the state. The, the Congress has to to decide whether it's going to be delegated to the states or they're going to take action through EPA. Now, states sometimes can have primacy, but all that could be worked out. But but as but far as, as who oversees and, and designates uh, the use of money, it's legislatures, federal, yeah, state, yeah. and municipal. Right. Yeah. They have primacy. Sorry, guys. But I didn't well, mean to get off going back to the question of Lansing versus Flint, I would observe there are a lot of variables there. And I think Lansing was not a city that was struggling financially. Flint has been a city that has struggled financially for many years. Yeah, yeah. The city of Flint has the highest income per capita in the world in 1970. But back to There's Henry's no point, I, I remember reports going on, and this was, you know, a, a decade before the the switch to the Flint River for for uh, municipal water, um, reports that the city of Flint's water usage, thirty percent of its water usage was going unmetered, which meant it was uh, it was people not paying their bills. It was water leaking into the ground, and and yeah. some was fire suppression, but. Thirty percent of Flint's water usage was unmetered, meaning nobody was picking up the tab individually for it, and right. that was going on forever. And the city did nothing to plug those holes until water bubbled up to the surface. Yeah, you know, it wasn't until well, we there was a flood happening even now. Uh, well, that's an important question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, who's paying the bills? Well, here I want to squeeze in uh, one more before we uh, before we go to break. Um, community members working to remove Matthew Smith from his seat on the Davison Community Schools Board of Education say they have succeeded. Recall organizers say they have collected 400 more than the 3,600 signatures needed. 
within 60 days to move the recall forward. On Tuesday, Smith was sentenced to one year of probation and $650 uh, under the Holmes Youthful Trainee Act after admitting he made an illegal phone call to an Upper Peninsula County clerk in March of 2020. Now, almost two years later, the community is one step closer to getting a special election for his seat. The recall group will be preparing for a special election for Smith's school board seat in either May or November after filing the petitions. Do you think he will be recalled? Yes. It sounds like it from what what you hear, both in, in the speed of gathering signatures and then just the scuttlebutt you hear around even among Republicans in, in his area. Bobby, I think you're yeah. in the middle of a lot of that, aren't you? Yes. Um, the the articles that say that he was uh, sentenced to 12 months probation and a $650 fine neglect a lot of the other things that the judge ordered. One was that he write a 1,000-word essay on political bullying. The other was that he, he takes a court in cognitive life skills Another was that he um, he devote 240 hours to community service that is not done in the Davison area, and that he not uh, ever go back up to Houghton County, and that he refrain from or stop or desist from bullying uh, Jennifer Kelly or anybody else. So there were a lot of conditions put on him, and both the prosecutor and the judge um, admonished him and said, grow up and be a man. Accept responsibility for your behavior. And when the woman he bullied uh, was on the Zoom, I watched all of this, um, and she told her story and how she felt about what happened, the judge said to uh, Smith that I hear two stories about your threat to kill the dogs, and I can only believe one of you and I am paraphrasing here, but he goes into the false police report and the lying that Smith put forth and said, your credibility is damaged. And so, of course, he believed the victim. Yeah, that was quite a lengthy, and the judge did a good job in analyzing it, and I think that Ms. Kelly got uh, justice there, uh, which she yep. deserved. And uh, <clears throat> But, but I, I hope uh, Matthew did learn a lesson you, 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 no matter how young you are, or what color you are, or how much money you got, you can't go out when you have the public trust and do this kind of stuff. Now, although Matthew Smith is coming back strong, now he might lose a, a, a job as a member of the Board of Education, but he has the Republican Party in Genesee County strongly in his hand because I went to two fundraisers. Now, one was the the death of uh, Dana White, her, her head's husband. Dana had, was a candidate for uh, the uh, state uh, uh, position at the legislature, but she lost it, and uh, I, he died in uh, just about Christmas time. And I went to his funeral, and there were more Democrats there than than others. And they came to give their respects about uh, Dana Whitehead and and her husband and the other people that were there. And uh, much of the Republican Party was there. But people did tell me, they said, I'm not a Republican, I'm a Democrat. So uh, there's, it's kind of interesting to see the Democrats kind of uh, lean towards supporting 
the efforts here in Genesee County to change the direction of Genesee County. And then I went to a fundraiser just uh, uh, last Thursday, and uh, he was there, and many people from the state legislature was there. They basically representatives, and a lot of older Americans were there. Henry, Not, I'm going to have to interrupt you okay. and stop you there. We have to take a short break. But, okay. But maybe we should pick this up uh, when we come back. Um, Please, just for, I'll just use one minute when we come back. All right. We'll Hello be right there, back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. From the Tom This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. And we were uh, talking just before the break about... um, Davison School Board member Matthew Smith, uh, who is also chair of the Genesee County GOP, and the fact that um, recall organizers have uh, garnered the signatures, they believe, um, to launch a recall election of Matthew Smith against his seat on the Davison School Board. And... um, Henry, you were you were talking just yes. just before the break. The the original question was, do you think he'll be recalled? And I raise that question. And I just want to stick this in, because there was a, a pretty attention headline getting uh, uh, recall effort against um, Karen Weaver when she was mayor of the city of Flint, and they did in fact force a recall election, and she survived that election. So yes. I raised the question, can he survive this one? Hey, you know, I, I'm i not going to take one side or the other, but I'm going to look at the, at the dynamics here. Now, in Davidson, it's in a school district, the worst possible place you can bring this trite to. School districts have enough to do without becoming politically engaged in everything that goes on. It's none of that business. Their business is teaching kids. And uh, but once you irate the people in a school district, they can get ugly. And um, <clears throat> I believe there are a couple things that favor uh, this being a successful venture. One is that as a fundraiser, I just see the old guard. You know, the people who had contributed to the party for years and years and years, and I did not see the the part of the uh, group that was ousted by Matt Smith when they took over the party. So those people were are not present. So or you're saying that there, there are, uh, that he has uh, positioned himself to have support from the county GOP. Uh, so you feel he's secure as chair there? No, he's he's not secure. The party is not secure because half of that, if you remember when Matt Matt took over the party, he took it over from uh, two other people, the mayor Davidson 
who had been the chair and and then uh, the vice chair. They went in and usurped that big day. And they had enough votes to oust him and elect Matt Smith, the, the chair. And, and I don't have a lot. I'm not talking against Matt Smith. But I can say that one thing, he is in control of the party and control of everybody that uh, toots horn there at the party. Well, Henry, Henry, I didn't realize that uh, the person he replaced on the GOP uh, board uh, for Genesee County was um, from Davison. Yes. Davison politics uh, maybe has gotten a little bit more interesting than it historically is. Yeah, that's, first of all, politics does not belong in a school district. And I had not no. read all of the, uh, all of the pieces to um, the sentence that Judge Crawford gave Matt Smith for that phone call. Um, but I did see uh, the, the and, and Bobby laid those all out for us in the last segment, but I did see the part about the thousand word essay and I, the minute I read that I pictured Bart Simpson at the blackboard <laughs> that, yeah. I, I, I just I don't know I that's you know kind of like kind high of, school detention in some ways yeah, yeah. I don't right. know that I've ever seen that in a sentence before and I think it's I, I think it's especially interesting because a Matthew Smith is very young and um and also and because smart. and because he's uh, you know uh, a member of a school board, I I just thought it was especially interesting. I don't think I've ever seen a thousand word essay in a uh, <laughs> sentence handed down before. Well, your teacher never had to write a whole book. I can give you I can give you my analysis on why it was done. Um, I watched the pleading of guilty, and I watched the prosecutor from Oakland, uh, who, of course, was brought in on the case because uh, our own prosecutor recused himself. And um, when he proposed, because Matt's attorney asked for the special treatment under the Haida law, that Matt be treated differently than any other um, person because of his age. And so I think what happened between that moment when the judge agreed and the prosecutor agreed and the victim agreed that Matt could be um, could be sentenced under that law. In the in the intervening time, which was from the twenty second of November until the eleventh of January, Matt did not stop his mouthing off, his bullying, and his bad behavior in public. To the point where, by the time the sentencing came around, the judge recognized that he hadn't learned a lesson. He was not um, sorry for what he had done, although the words came out. Nothing. His activities. And his actions did not support that. That he felt like he needed to put um, virtual handcuffs on his behavior for the next 12 months and perhaps teach him a lesson. And I'm not sure that Matt will learn a lesson, but I think it was a good sentence. Yeah, it, with respect to recall, I, yeah, I think that he will be recalled. Not right. that you this know, is my hope. Uh, well, but yeah, kind of as a sidebar, I'm thinking about Davison politics here in the school board. Wasn't Michael Moore also on the Davison school board? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there, there, may, there may be an extra kind of curious history here. Long time ago. I have That's another right. question of Henry. Who is the vice chair of your county party? 
Um, let's see. Currently? It's a, it's a woman, but I can't recall her name. I'll have to get it. Her name is Amy Fascinello. Yes. Um, are you aware of the pending charges, perhaps, uh, of the 16 Republicans who put forth a false document asserting that they were electors in the 2020 presidential oh, yes. election? Yes. No. No, if you look at I'll... the list of signatures, at the bottom left column is Amy Fatinello's signature. So she is now in the pot because of that. Well, well you know well, what? I, I believe yeah, that Dana... elections should be fair and they should be trustworthy. <laughs> Were those individuals on that sheet, Bobby, were they the actual elector, electoral candidates chosen by the Republican Party, or were they simply other people? No, I, I believe they were. I believe they were. I don't know yeah. for sure, but I think they probably were. Well, and, and the problem grew when they were uh, considering showing up in Washington to, or showing up at the Electoral College to cast their votes. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And that... Um, Dana Nessel has just recently weighed in on that by handing that over to um, a federal prosecutor. Right. Yeah, but once you're elected a a, um, a, a presidential elector, there's a protocol um, protocol that you have to go through it. How, they can just simply sign the name of them presidential elector just because I got my name down on the paper. There's a protocol that goes through. There's a paper trail. How did they do that? You, you were an elector in 16, weren't you, Henry? Yeah, I was elected uh, twice. Okay, yeah. Three times. Yeah, two times. And I was an elector in 2020. That's right, mm -hmm. yeah. Somebody wanted to take your place, right? I told you politics in Davison is getting a lot more interesting than it's been for some it time. It certainly is. And I will tell you that the personalities and the temperaments of the people in elected office in this area, uh, under pressure, they really reveal an awful lot. Well, you know, I, I belong to... Uh, the Oakland County Republican Party, the Saginaw Republicans, and the Kent County, where my daughter is, and Genesee County. And, you know, in all of those, I, I'm thinking and comparing them to see how they react to what's going on in Genesee County. But all of them have their uh, systems under great control. They invite a lot of people, and just like Matt Smith, he had a tremendous number of people from Lansing that supported him, and as I say, the age group had risen. Uh, so uh, that sounds substantially strong. They don't have to be right or legitimate, but when they have the source of support, that makes the party, that validates the party. Yeah, you know, one of the things that occurred to me, because you all know that I participated in the recall of Paul Scott, Mm. Um, probably at about the same level, except I was a lot younger and I could move faster. Um, <laughs> in, this, in this particular recall, I was trying to tie the two together, trying to see what is the common thread. What is it that outrages people? What is it that causes them to sign a petition to actually come out and vote to recall somebody from office? And the two, the two men, both young men, um, started out by lying to people. Uh, Paul mm. Scott 
promised the MEA and uh, got for their endorsement. He promised That's them right. to do everything. Yeah, I recall. I remember that endorsement. Yep. Yeah. Well, and hey, so they done. endorsed him in spite of the fact they don't generally endorse Republicans. And when he turned around and um, not only voted for legislation that weakened the union, but they actually introduced legislation that weakened them, uh, they got angry and brought up the, the recall. Now, in this case, um, in the last week or 10 days, our campaign, I couldn't have given you any money a week ago that we would have even made the numbers. Over a 1,000 people came out and signed. And why do you suppose that is? Because Matt Smith stood outside, um, I don't remember where he was when he videoed his response hey, to what Bobby, happened in the courtroom. Bobby, I'm going to have to pause you there. we got to take a short break, but we'll be back okay. with the second half of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program after we break for show ID. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 